Ladies and gents, jazz up your New Year's Eve with the renowned Jeff Hamilton Organ Trio. Swing in the new year at the Lincoln Theater with an unforgettable evening of soulful Hammond B3 organ sounds by Akiko, Saruga, and dynamic guitar work by Steve Kolbachek, led by renowned drummer Jeff Hamilton. This trio is a powerhouse of talent that will get you moving and grooving into 2024 with style. Join us December 29th at the Lincoln Theater. Visit jazzartsgroup.org for tickets and information. everyone it's your girl sequoia blue back in here with another podcast episode today we're streaming on a beautiful saturday we have a special guest today we got lashawn smith a fellow tech boss multi-hyphenated i love it so how are you how are you doing today lashawn sequoia i'm doing fantastic uh weather's pretty good i'm up here in seattle so it could be hit or miss you never know what you're gonna get but uh we're off to a great sunny weekend so i'm excited let's have a great conversation yeah, I used to live in Seattle on Queen Anne. Yeah. Um, and I used to walk around and stuff. I used to go to a bookstore. I used to work for Capital One Investing. It was really fun. It was my first real kind of tech type gig. Kind of real job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, I see um, I see the uh the, the book background. So uh, you know, it sounds like you were a book lover in real life and you're still loving the books. Oh man, I love books. I mean, yeah. I'm always and I need to catch up on some books because I get so many guests come on here and they always some some of them send me a free book and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get to this book and then I right, right. like I'm like I gotta get back to my reading because it's just so much so many cool stories. I like nonfiction, I like fiction. So Yeah, let me tell so you much. something that I did that I uh, started as a good framework or plan and it's like biting me in the butt. So I have a ton of books behind me. And my rule is I don't get to put it on the shelf until I read the book. And so I started ordering books. And if you could see around me, there's these little piles of books that are like starting to overtake me because I have not read them. I said I was, but now, now I can't put them on the shelf. So anyway, I feel you. Sometimes we have to just make that time. But uh, there's just so much great information. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then when you're in tech, which you understand this, like you're always studying. So I'm always yeah, constantly always taking something. these courses. I'm learning AI and all this other stuff. And then you're just, you get caught up and you're like, okay, I got to make time for reading. And then you just, I don't know. I'm somebody that's just always busy. I don't know that, and, you know, yeah. being, I mean, do you, do you feel that way as multi-hyphenated person? Like, are you ever bored? Like, it's like, you just don't get I'm never bored. My problem is the shiny object syndrome. And so I have to stay focused. And one of the things I, I pride myself on is, is I'm a finisher. And the reason I take so much pride in that is because it's so easy for me to get distracted and go do something else. And so like, I like to get to the end of a project, you know, whether it's software, um, you know, products that I've shipped or, you know, films that I've worked on, like I want it to finish. And so for me, that's, uh, it's something I, I constantly struggle with because there's always something new, some new piece of tech. And I'm like, Ooh, let me go read this documentation and learn about this. And yeah. you know, we got to focus. Man, you just said it. You just took the words out of my mouth. It's just trying to to focus that shiny that shiny object syndrome is so true because I'm looking at cybersecurity and then I'm jumping over here to ooh AI engineer, ooh API training, and then it's like right, what the so? But it's so it's it just I never thought that I would fall in love with technology like this, but because technology has now taken over everything, like even the music industry, which is where I started off in. Like, what right. do you think about this whole AI thing, you know, that's taken over the world? Well, I am 
excited about kind of anything that gives us a new tool to kind of, um, you know, not just make ourselves more productive, but help, you know, kind of reimagine work. I, you know, I hear the media coverage where it's like, all oh, these people are going to lose their jobs. And we've heard the counter to that where it's like, well, there used to be people who sold horse buggies and, you know, they transitioned. You know, the pragmatic point of view that I take is yes, there will be jobs that have transitioned, um, <clears throat> will get transitioned out and, you know, we'll have some period of time. I don't know if that's three years or 10 years, not smart enough to know that answer, but there'll be some duration of time where career paths that we thought were were safe and long-term are going to get disrupted. Um, and so I think we should be good stewards to all those humans. Now, the part I don't have any empathy is I think there are certain company structures and certain types of companies that are going to go out of business. And so I have no love for the company, but I do think we should think about the actual individuals, the humans there, and most of them um, will be okay. There'll just be this transition period that, that won't be fun because of the anxiety. You know, if you've invested years and years into your craft, and now all of a sudden, here's this new thing that will, you know, not necessarily diminish your craft, but the way I see it, people will start to gravitate to a new type of creation. Then it's like, goodness, what did I invest all these years of my life, you know, building this skill set? And so that part is pretty sucky. And what I hope folks realize is AI can be the new toolkit. And one of the things that I like doing, I don't do this uh, a whole lot, but um, I'll sometimes go back to 100 years, 80 years ago, not just like 10 years ago, and try to find an article on technology. And I did this recently for uh, photography. You can find all these scanned newspaper articles and they'll talk about, you know, how photography is going to kill all the painters and this is going oh, to yeah. destroy humanity. And we're never like if you saw the fear, uncertainty, a doubt of photography, you'd be like, oh, my goodness, like this is it's crazy that the you know, folks thought the world was falling when when cameras you know started becoming mainstream. And. I think that's what we'll see with AI tools. You know, we're far away from, you know, AGI, as they say, uh, you know, general intelligence. But for the, the person who used to paint, who embraced photography, I think that's the transition we'll see. So the 17 year old who's showing up right now is going to say, oh, this is just part of my toolkit. And they're going to express themselves in different ways. They're going to be able to have more output. They're going to be, be able to focus more on the emotive connection and not so much the, the gear or the product or what have you. And, and so I think it's going to be all good. Now, you know, if you're 28, 38, 48, and you've been investing in the old way for so many years, like, yeah, it's going to be scary. And, uh, you know, yeah. if, we, if we keep that curious mindset, I think we can navigate it. There we go. I mean, that's like the whole premise of my podcast, being curious, right? Like, that's just how I am. Like, I really, really came to love Mid-Journey. Um, I was I was always a painter. I was always an artist. But something about Mid-Journey, I was like, I was able to create things that I just couldn't paint. Like, I was like a Vincent Van Gogh type artist where it was just, an, I couldn't do a right. person or anything. And I think Mid-Journey is amazing because it's you can prompt it to do anything you want. And I know there's some opposition with that, like you said, with the artists. But I think that it's going to help the artists later. You know, they can create different things. And I just... I yeah, I mean, and, you know, right now there's there's uh, Hollywood um, has a number of labor disputes going on. One is the writer strike. And it's I really find it fascinating, you know, 
like which side am I on on this argument as a technologist um, I just see it as inevitable and so you know trying to slow it down seems silly on the flip side it's like how do we be empathetic and make sure folks are making a living wage and again I think this transition between this 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 type of technology shift is it's tricky to navigate but what I think some of the writers or at least the writer union writers union is getting wrong is this idea that there's not another writer who is going to use AI and embrace AI. And, you know, when you can get all of your labor force unified, uh, you know, you can have a great negotiation, but that's not going to happen. There's going to be some hungry writer out there who's willing to use AI. And, and that's who, that's who you're competing against. You're not competing against the studio. And yeah. also, you know, you know, as they say, peak television has peaked. And this was, you know, five, 10 years ago where Netflix and others ushered in this this world where, you know, there are all these amazing, big budget, well-written shows. And we're shifting to a place where, you know, those checks aren't, aren't there. They're not the same size. They're not as many of these shows being greenlit. And so as creatives who embrace technology, I, I just think, you know, the more you look for a way to, number one, embrace the tool, but number two, figure out how is the system going to change? I think it's easier to navigate. And so, you know, the idea that there are all these writing jobs that are going to be out there in a year or two, it's not because AI, it's because the streamers and other folks are, are cutting back. And so how do you survive, thrive as, you know, uh, as a writer, as a videographer, as a coder, as a, whatever your <clears throat> whatever your skill set is, I think you got to embrace these tools and try to use them to take control versus you know, just try to stop them because the change is inevitable. I totally agree with that. Oh man, see, we're thinking on the same page here. Cause you know, I was playing around with ChatGPT myself and as a writer, I was, you know, I was like, man, I would see what it can do for the, I had a children's book I wrote and I said, let me add the, my, my book here. And then I'm gonna see if we can write some more to this, to my book already written. And it, it created really good uh, yeah. work. I was like, what the? It finished my children's book and it was a short children's book. It was supposed to be a small book, but it, it completely finished it and it went with the flow of what I've already done. And I said, this is what writers could to do. Just just still have your own sauce, but just have ChatGPT help you so you can get it done faster. And right, I right. think in return, we can put out more movies and stuff because, you know, right. I'm, I'm a big movie buff and I'm like, well, come on, let's put some more stuff out here. So I think I mean, it, you, you hit it yeah. on the head um, because I, well, two things that I react to first Anyone who spent a decent amount of time with ChatGPT will know that it's only as good as what you put in it. And so if you're just like, write me a children's story, it's going to give you garbage. If you say, here's my writing style, here's some of what I've written, and you ask it to extend it or maybe, you know, use it as an editor, you still have to go edit. You still have to go clean up. You still have to go restructure. You still have to do all of these things. And, you know, when Photoshop was introduced in the, I think that was either late, uh, somewhere in the 80s or 90s, um, when that showed up, people are like, oh my goodness, you're using this software to edit a photo? That's not honest. And at all of these transitions, we keep seeing that, hey, the computer is the tool, it's not the replacement. Uh, the other thing I was gonna say is, when you look at some of these tools, you know, we talked about finishing, you have to, I believe, just like get the product out there because we're gonna have hyper-personalized content. So if you want super niche Afro-futurism you know, about like some topic, there's gonna be somebody creating images or writing stories for you. And the idea that, you know, one person writes, you know, in Hollywood, they call it the four quadrant film where, you know, you write a film that's for younger people, older people, men, women, it's basically for everyone. The problem with those is, 
it, it becomes less of a creative exercise and more of a marketing exercise because you have to convince everybody to come watch your thing. And for better or worse, I think, you know, folks are going to end up writing for smaller audiences, but you know, there can be more resonance. There can be more connection. Like the audience connection you build for what you create is going to be stronger. And maybe it's, you know, more like the village concept um, of like, you're writing for a small group of people, but they're really going to pay attention. And to me, that's, that's super exciting, right? It doesn't feed the ego, but it can really feed, I think the creative soul. Uh, yes, I totally agree. I like that. And especially now with so many independent writers and, and filmmakers are now on 2B TV and I've been researching yeah. this and I'm just like, this is cool. You can kind of, instead of just trying to get a seat at the table, you can create your own stuff using yes. these tools now. You can create these cartoons. I've seen that too, where I don't even know what that, I think it's called Deep Think or something, some type of software where you can create a cartoon with using mid-journey, create a cartoon and you can even create, I mean, that's, we're yeah. just a, that's why I've just taken And you're off. at the cutting edge, right? Because right now, you have to take three or four of these tools and connect them together. Yeah. And it's like, all right, I got to create the image. Now I got to create the frame interpolation. Now I have to go, you know, scale this up. So it's HD. Like you got to do all of these different steps. Um, and this is the time of being a pioneer. You know, in five years, there'll just be some app that you use. And, you know, you'll be able to think back and say, I remember when I had to go grab this and yep. this. And people are like, wow, that seemed old school. But but I know we jump right into this conversation, which is I love the energy. Um, where do you want to take this? Like, you know, I'm in your hands. What what else should we talk about? I know I mean, we're having fun. So, so yeah. Yeah. Over. So I, I do want to. So basically, I have some questions. Um, it's easy to make your home holiday ready with help from Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of styles, including carpet, luxury vinyl, hardwood, laminate and tile. Special financing is available with approved credit. Our experts will bring the store to your door with convenient, free in-home shopping. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com. Make your guests feel right at home with gorgeous new floors from Right Rug Flooring. Right here, right now. New on Curiosity Stream, we've walked with dinosaurs. We've explored our prehistoric planet, and we were always told the same story. Extinction came from the sky. But what if dinosaurs survived? Amazing Dino World 2. Watch it now on Curiosity Stream. With monthly, annual, and bundle plans, find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com. You know, but um, so could you tell me about your journey from being the avionics technician in the U.S. Navy to becoming a seasoned executive in the tech industry? How did your military experience influence your approach to leadership and problem solving? Yeah, so I love the juxtaposition and sometimes it just feels like it's like a weird dichotomy of my background um, because you know, I'm a software person, but I also see myself as kind of an artist who figured out that, oh, I could um, create a path that really made sense using tech. But um, I went to the military because my dad went into the military and he was a guitar player in the Navy. And this, I didn't even know this existed. You know, when I talk to most people in the military, many of them don't know this exists, but they have these roles where uh, if you're an artist, you can actually be full time as the artist, that's your job. So he wasn't kind of like, I did one job and then on the side, I played guitar. 
his job was to play the guitar. He was in something called the Navy Show Band. And, you know, they would travel around, you know, mostly, uh, you know, kind of different missions or, you know, kind of spreading goodwill on behalf of uh, kind of branding the U.S., if you will. And, and that was his whole gig. And it was really fascinating because it was like he got to be a creative. He was a jazz guitarist. But then he also was in the military, got the stability, the benefits, all those types of things. And so when I was young, you know, my parents were like, you got to have these rules. And I'm like, I'm going to leave your rules and go to these more stringent rules. Like it was kind of silly. Right. So I like like, you know, put my my fist on the table and I left and joined the military. And uh, it actually turned out to be a fantastic thing because it really helped me to your question, become a systems thinker and to you know think about things as a system but because you know before that you know my other alternative was like i'm moving to la and i'm gonna be a record producer right i'd been in music studios as a kid following my dad around and so i thought i was like you know these are my two options if you look at those they those seem like ridiculously different options uh and when i got there one of the things, one of the first things I did was start, you know, making music for other folks. You know, I was like the local guy you buy your beats from and all of that type of thing. And the the combination of keeping my creative mind open, but embracing the systems based thinking really was the unlock. And, you know, over time, I just kind of found different steps along my, you know, my journey where I, you know, I was a web developer at one point. I was a UX designer, UXD as they call it. Um, after business school, I was a product manager. And and really the inflection or intersection has also always been kind of the combination of right, left brain, right? Like how can we use computers and technology and programming to tell stories, to connect each other, to imagine our world in a different way. And so it's it's a very natural kind of combination for me, but it doesn't always make sense when you're like, well, what's the job description? And the job description is like, you know, how do we use these tools to explore our humanity? Yes, I love that. You know, because I, I think there's something called intuitive technology. So I'm not as experienced as you in tech, but I feel like there's like, there's times where I might find an figure out a problem and I might not know the definition of what I just did or like mm-hmm. you know stuff like that I think there is a left and right brain element to tech and even to music it's all combined uh, so that that was cool that yeah and I'll, just a quick insertion I'll say I've interviewed you know and hired quite a few software engineers and it's not surprising that there are there's a huge overlap of uh, you know, some of the best software engineers I've hired that are great musicians or artists or what have you, because there is a creative problem problem solving approach to writing code. There's no right answer. There's not like this is the way you write this line of code. There's all sorts of ways you could tackle it. Now, you know, there's certain best practices and idioms that you might use for different languages, you know, Python versus, you know, TypeScript, uh, Go or what have you. But somebody's going to say, I have this problem. And I want you to write some code to go solve this problem. And there's just so many ways. And so it's not surprising that if you go talk to many software engineers, you know, they play in a band or they record music or they're all into Ableton or whatever it is, because I I think some of the same kind of core capabilities and and talents are are evident in both. Mm, That's so true. Yeah, because I, you know, I I went to a boot camp, you know, I went to a coding boot camp and um, (laughs) I I felt like it was it was kind of intimidating but then once you you know you, you're trying to get into the field of it and it's hard it was hard that's why i'm application monitoring engineer i'm not actually a software developer because they want it they want you to do a certain way when you do these interviews and it's like oh i just kiss let me just 
put stuff together with my little weird mind and Google right, stuff right. and put it together. But I couldn't do that on the call. You know, you can't do that. You know, right. but when if I'm doing my own personal project, you have a chance to go on Stack Overflow. And now you got ChatGPT that can help you too, or just certain things. But it's like, yeah, sometimes you just you just lose that fire when you're you're not practicing at home. It's, as much it's as a you're different like, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things that I. I don't know what this should be called, and this is not anything that I'm working on, but I've had conversations with multiple folks about, you know, teaching people to code to get a job versus teaching people to code to start a business. And, you know, there's a whole community called Indie Hackers. Uh, you can go to IndieHackers.com. That's a community run by Cortland Allen and his brother. And what I find really fascinating about that world is there are many folks who are solopreneurs or you know working with one to three people and when you think about how to write code with one to three people that's very different than a big tech company right so i worked in big tech for many years and uh, the architectural patterns are like distributed systems and like everybody slicing up these little pieces and you got to roll it all into a lot of big pieces and what the job really becomes is not so much writing software it's integrating and coordinating all of these different pieces as a large team. And that's very different than I'm going to sit down on my laptop and go make some magic. And I think some of these boot camps and other folks do folks a disservice that they don't call out explicitly enough that like if you really enjoy, you know, coding by yourself, you can go make a micro a micro SaaS application or something that an indie hacker could do. And, you know, you're not going to build a unicorn like, like all right, let's, let's be realistic. But can you go quickly get to $10,000 a month, $20,000 a month, $50,000 a month? Like that's possible. And to me, again, it's not like that's the way. It's just like, let's remind folks that's also an option. But the actual hands-on keyboard work is very different there than working, you know, typically as a software engineer in a big place, because a lot of that's just team coordination and meetings and talking and how do I get my code to talk to your code? It's just a different job. And I don't knock it. Um, I just think we do ourselves a disservice by not acknowledging that there are, there are two paths. Yeah, I like that. See, I like that you said that because I'm like, I'm at a point where I just rather do software engineering on my own and then I'll do the other stuff you know um at the regular job you know yeah. and there's certain fields there's so many fields in tech like what what advice do you have for like someone that wants to get in tech because i didn't know there were so many different things in tech you know they got application mon monitoring engineer i got pushed in that i didn't even know that existed and then mm -hmm. i got into it now i'm stuck into it and then there's other stuff you know what, what do you recommend to someone that's just lost <laughs> well because there are so many options you know, there's there's a concept in behavioral economics uh, called overchoice, and it's where we get anxious or anxiety. Like we legit feel anxiety because we have so many options, right? The the other side of that is you know someone who is in a different part of their 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 life where they feel hopeless. They feel like there's no options, and for most people, their dissatisfaction is because they're on one of those extremes. They're like. I'm hopeless, it's hopeless because I have no options or I have so many options that I have anxiety. And then you don't wanna to commit to one path because you're like, well, then I learned about this new thing. Oh crap, should I, should I have focused on that? And so that to me is what a lot of folks are trying to navigate. And if you're smart and you're driven, you're going to have a lot of options. And so it can create this anxiety, like am I picking the right thing? So back to your question, I like the idea of, I call it tasting the buffet. Right. So meeting a lot of people and like with the intent of, you know, not just like, tell me about your job. Like, no, tell me about your day. 
um, would it be possible for me to see a, a screenshot of your calendar for a day or a week, right? And then getting the qualitative pieces of, of what the job is, because many times, you know, folks hear the salary or the title or the company name or something, they're like, that sounds good. I'm going to go do that. But I believe the actual work work and your hiring manager, whoever you're going to work for, those are the two most important. If you have a great manager and the kind of structure of your day maps to your personality, you're going to be amazing. And so, like, how do you taste the buffet? It's, you know, finding people you can connect with in very short, you know, pieces. You can't you can't go taste the buffet for five years and be like, all right, now I'm going to go, you know, focus on the job. You know, you want to be able to do this in weeks, months or maybe, you know, a couple of years. And I think what most folks will find is there's something instinctual in their personality that says, I like to, um, for instance, spend a lot of time hands-on talking to a customer. Um, person A may say that. Person B may say, I don't want to talk to the customer, but I'm really into you know, defining a process and uh, you know, making sure this runs uh, at a high level of, uh, of quality. Uh, it never breaks. You know? um, there are all these different things that you'll find your personality in these jobs. And so meeting strangers, like legit getting out and forcing yourself to get uncomfortable and meet new people who are in these things and hopefully have a reason or a way to, to create some value in their life so you you feel good about asking them questions that's the tasting the buffet and i think what most folks will realize is once you understand what the options are you're going to have to commit to building your craft and this is kind of a callback to what we were saying earlier it's tricky if you're let's say you're a creative writer or you're a software developer or you are you know some maybe you, you make furniture all these things take, you know, months and years to, to, you know, kind of be table stakes. And then it can take a lifetime to master it. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the thing that sucks is if you, you know, are investing, let's say two years of your life and now you're making okay money. Um, but then you realize, oh, really what I should have done is this other thing. We design our life where it's just like, well, now I got bills. Now I got all of these other things that I got to kind of struggle with. And so, taking yourself back down to zero to go down that other path feels impractical. And, and so I like to look at life, you know, through this thing I created called the life map, where it's just like, first build your talent stack. And that's the combination of your interests, your values, your skill sets, you know, all these things you do while you're tasting the buffet, you're traveling, you're meeting strangers, you know, what have you. Then you go amplify that by building relationships because you could be amazing and people are like, Sequoia, she's great. But if people don't know, what you're great at. Um, it's hard for them to go give you the cosign and give you a look for a job or to help connect you with a customer or whatever it is. And then once you have you know those relationships, you can start generating income. You want to make sure you're keeping yourself, I call it stay liquid, um, where you're growing the gap as they say, right? You're spending less than you make. You're doing all the right personal finance things. Uh, so then you can go, you know, acquire, you know, assets, you know, real investments that make money when you when you do zero work, not a little bit of work. And then that allows you to, to as I say, stay free. And once you once you're in the free state, you can, you know, give back to charity, you can focus on yourself, you can unlock, you know, spend more time with your friends, family, focus on your health, your inner self, all the things that are part of your self-development. You can start a new company without investors. Like, so to me, you know, the core of your question is, I think there's a sequence here. And sometimes we break into jail and like we skip a level and we get the job, but then we don't stay liquid. And because we, we put ourselves in a position where we're not liquid, 
then when we find that our talent stack way back earlier in the process is maybe better suited for something else, we've structurally created this system that Let's face it, most people aren't making massive turkey feasts on the regular, and after 364 days of not thinking about it, it can be hard to get that bird just right. That's where Instacart, the holiday rescue app, comes in. From getting all the ingredients to prep a full seasonal spread to getting last-minute swamps in a turkey emergency, Instacart has everything a holiday host needs to save face and save dinner. And right now, if you download Instacart, you get free delivery on your first three orders and delivery in as fast as one hour. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Like, it's hard to navigate back there. And so, you know, it can be hard if you've made a number of life uh, commitments. You know, uh, anyone who has, like, maybe you're in a location and you don't want to live there anymore. Um, maybe you've had children and you're like, well, now I need to be a good steward of their future. And so you may feel like you don't have the same level of mobility. I don't think that's always true, but but it can be, you know, it's going to be more challenging. But even something simple like, you know, I know single people who have pets and I'm like, yeah, you should go to this conference. And they're like, oh, I don't have anybody watching my dog. And like it turns oh. into this thing where... Yeah. I don't believe any of those things are, are, are decisions you should not make. It's just we should understand that each of those responsibilities comes with a cost of time and or money. And, and so back to your core question, there's just so much out there. I think the more we can canvas the world, kind of survey our options, um, the better. But you're going to have to commit to something and like build it and treat it as a craft. And I don't think there's a get rich, you know, skill set. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. You, <laughs> you see all the stuff on YouTube because I'm just yeah. a curious person. So I see so much on YouTube and these dudes are like, yeah, just get an NFT and do this and then start. And then some people be like, start this tech company, you start this tech company. And then and it's like, these things are not like quick now, you know, and oh, just get a government contract and you can just, you can just get that government contract and you can just do your own uh, consulting, tech consulting. I'm like, wait a minute here. Right. I gotta be mentally ready for that. And the person that's trying, that's listening has to be mentally ready for that. It's, there's levels to this thing. And I had to figure that out. You know, I I, I had to 100. figure that out. And, and I think that that's, and I like that you said that, like figure out what direction you want to go into. And then, and if it's three or four things at the same time, if you can handle it, do you think that's okay? Because sometimes there's this thing where I think there's a book I just I didn't even buy it yet, but I need to get it. But uh, it's More about books. multi-hyphenate. I know I got so many ding on books, and this is a virtual background, but I got a lot of books, anyways. Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, but um, what I was gonna say was, oh yeah, so basically it's called the the multi-hyphenated person, or it's a book about being multi-hyphenated, or someone that has several different things going on, like a master of a master of uh of all master jack of all, all trades master yeah of jack of all trades master and none but this one's saying you're you could be good at some so you can be a master of one but be good at some do you think that's true or like yeah so you know this is a callback to what i was re referencing as the talent stack and i absolutely think you can not only do multiple things it actually is to your benefit if you can take 
these disparate ways. As I said, you know, if you look at my talent stack to your earlier question, it feels like an odd duck of things combined. It's like, all right, systems-based thinking, you know, software development, visual design. You know, I've, like I said, I've made movies. I've, uh, you know, as a recording engineer, I've, I've mixed a number of, of uh, you know, uh, projects that have charted. Like I've done all these random things. It's like, well, what's the, the cluster? If I go to job A or job B and try to list out all of these things, they don't care. They need to force me into kind of a widget. And they're like, well, LaShawn, I need these six things. I don't care about you. You sound very interesting. Can you do these six things? But so I think the more that you have the propensity to have a wider swath of talents and interests, the more you need to really look at entrepreneurship as the uh, as the path to monetize, monetize your skill set. And the more you're going to have a more homogenous, you know, kind of, um, you know, kind of generic type of, of skill set, the easier it is for you to kind of slot in as an employee. And I don't think you ha it has to be like black or white, like it's like this or that. But the more you want to be random, I think the more you will find that entrepreneurship is is probably the place. But here's the thing. I don't believe entrepreneurship is a, a free pass to not have discipline. And I see it so often where someone has a job and while they're complaining and venting and say this sucks, they showing up, they putting in the work, they don't let it slip. They show up to every meeting, they complete every doc, they, they do all the work. And then when they, they start their business themselves, they don't give themselves the same level of respect that they was given some random employee. And like, that's the breakdown. So I think absolutely you can have all of these things, but you can't, you know, put discipline aside. You can't not have the rigor. You can't like, you can't have all those things and also not have a rigor, rigorous operational plan. And so the, the way I look at it, kind of the punchline to your question, I would say you can be a visionary with many different talents and interests. But if you can't operationalize those, you will not win. So you need vision and operational, you know, excellence. And that's, you know, that's where you get to iterate quickly and you get to execution and all the things that it takes to be a finisher. And that to me is where so many creatives you know, kind of fall short. You, I, I'm sure you've seen many people, know many people in your life where they want to be the creator, but they're like, can somebody just market this for me? Right? Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, no, like when I hear examples, you know, you can look like a Robert Rodriguez or a Tyler Perry or someone like this. When people look at those examples, it's very obvious that, all right, you know, whether or not you like Tyler Perry's writing, like I've watched so many shows of his that are so bad, but then there's a few where I'm like, that's, that's pretty entertaining. But regardless yeah. of the create the creative output, he said, or decided I'm going to create content you know, and I'm going to market this content and I'm going to go figure out the kind of the technical production. Right. And so there's this framework called BXT where it's business experience technology, and you can apply it to a lot of creative uh, and other outputs where it's like somebody has to go create the experience, like make the thing, you know, the, the emotive story, write the software, like, like whatever it is, somebody has to, let's use a movie to, to keep it simple. Somebody has to write the story, um, direct the film, um, you know, show up and act in it. Somebody else has to be the cinematographer, understand light theory and, you know, go run the grip truck and, you know, edit the film and do all the post-production. And then somebody has to go find distribution and marketing, marketing. And many times creatives or people who have a technical background who want to do something entrepreneurial, they just want to stay in that experience or the, the technology bucket. 
and they want to let somebody else do the business bucket. And you just will not win if you don't do all three. And that's the, I, I think the question most entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs should ask themselves. Do I want to become world-class at that business bucket? Because if you do, then you can have a very random background and you're going to be able to monetize that because you are now a unique, a one-of-one one in the universe. And that's super valuable. But if you don't want to do the business and the marketing yourself, you need to go get yourself a job because yeah. uh, that's just, you know, the world's not going to come to you and be like, you're so amazing. You got to tell them. Cause they don't know you're there, you know, like, exactly. you know, and I had to learn that too. Cause I, I can use myself as a guinea pig here. Cause when I, mean, I did music, I didn't, I didn't try to market myself. I didn't try to study marketing until now that, you know, now I'm a little older and I took a class last year on Coursera and I was now I was able to sell, you know, I was able to get some stuff yeah. done. I mean, I was focusing on my car game that I created, which got, I got inspired to create from Riot Games, working at Riot Games, but yeah. I did. So I started, I started with that and I'm just like, Oh, this is the key. This is what you got to do. So now I'm like telling people, get ready for marketing because if you're not a, somebody that's on social media for five minutes can entice people, you need to pay for some Facebook ad marketing. Learn that because it's not that hard. Yeah, it's school really them, school them. But isn't that fascinating? Like the, you know, when you're 17, 18 years old, you have all these dreams. And it's like if you could just give some give that person the unlock that says if you also built this other muscle, you're going to be unstoppable. And many yep. times, you know, we don't learn that to our 20s or 30s. Some people, you know, when they get really old. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, what, but, you know, I don't regret anything from the past. But that's the journey. You know, it's like the butterfly effect. Like I always say to every podcast, the butterfly effect. You go, yeah. you go back in time, you still mess something up. So I just yeah. like the question. Like, tell me about this card game. Like, what did you uh, what, what, what was the game? I'm not familiar with it. Sorry about that. But what oh, was no, the game? And then and then how did you um, how, did, how have you applied, you know, your all these lessons you've learned to that, you know, um, you know, now that you're further along on your journey. Well, yeah. So basically I was working at Riot Games. I was living in LA at the time. I was there for like seven years. And I was, I was working there and I said, man, I, I didn't really, I wasn't a fan of Riot Games games. Okay. But I, for some reason, one of the coworkers came in and he gave me a, what was it? A Pokemon card. And yeah. at the time, I noticed a lot of women were trying to date and find somebody and men were trying to find somebody and they just weren't asking the right questions to make sure that person was a good match. And then mm -hmm. I just got a bad relationship seven years ago and I said, let me see if I can make things better. I didn't really know him. And, you know, um, so I, I decided, I said, when he showed me that Pokemon card game, I said, dating assassins, assassinate their truth. There you go. My head. And I said, well, how am I going to get the money for this? I'm by myself with expensive rent, $1,700 a month rent, by myself. How am I right. do this? So I just was like, all right, I'm just going to plot everything out. And I was plotting for two years. And then when the whole COVID thing came and all that stuff happened, I, my stepdad died and my grandma died. I said, you know, I'm packing up. going to go stay with my mom for a bit. I need to clear my head. I'm set. Right. I'm set. And then I didn't want to work a regular job again. I know the thing. I just wanted to quit a regular job, but I, I couldn't do it at the time. So, so fast. So basically, back to that. So I went. I moved to uh, uh, Georgia. Well, actually, I moved to Vegas because I was in Georgia for a minute. Moved to Vegas, and then um, I started looking up different uh, graphic designers. I did all this work on Fiverr. I found someone on Fiverr to help me create the the card game and all that. So I created 150 questions, and it's just questions about. You know things you, the person likes and and, and uh, just some deep questions to get get yeah. into the potatoes to see if we're if we're a match or not. And I went on a few dates and I'd use the card game and it works. I was like, there you this go. Works. Oh, you had to filter I, out some crazy like, uh, you're not the one. Yeah, I was like, uh, uh, no, nope, we ain't gonna work. You know, and 
you know, it, it, it is crazy because they, they think that, okay, you know, people are like, oh, they're not going to answer questions. Oh, people answer, believe it or not, because yeah. men, most of my sales so far have been to men. Men are mm-hmm. buying the games now because when I first started and I was talking to some investors and stuff, they're like, oh, this is a women's thing. No, most of the people that's buying this game is men. Men love games. So, and they answer Great the question. They will sit there and answer it. And it's fun. And I learned so much. And then I had some other people tell me, that they've learned a lot that they figured out some things from the game and so i was like this is i got something going here so now i'm really putting a lot into that i you know like people be like oh so you're not doing music anymore no i'm gonna forever do music but two things or three things can be true at the same time i've had i have a lot of work with music that's already online this car game is gonna basically retire me from a regular Mm -hmm. job so i can focus on the music and, and filmmaking what you're doing you know, because what you're saying is that freedom, you, you're you talking about teaching people freedom, that freedom aspect, and which means having time for charities, like you said, having time to walk through the park and all that. So this, these are things that are important. And then also you can focus more on dating because I know a lot of women were busy working and stuff and they couldn't really focus and hmm. learn about the guy or, you know, even the, the guy is stressed out from work. He can't learn about the woman. So this, this yeah. game could just be a... I just felt like could change the world. And that's why I did it. You know, I love it. And, you know, (laughs) two things. One, um, I've invested in I've invested in one card game, but also another startup that's trying to they're doing kind of like trivia and other types of things. Um, And it's a very I love, you know, kind of low tech businesses that can be powered by tech. Like you can still use your muscle and all your experience to go promote and drive the business, but it's not, it doesn't have a lot of customer support or overhead to kind of keep it up once you create it. So I love those types of businesses. And they say, you know, if you are going to start a business, you should probably sell to other businesses. But if you do sell to consumers, you should focus on health, wealth, or um, uh, what's the fourth, uh, a third, uh, productivity. So you're trying to kind of help people. And, you know, that, you know, in the health, I've seen people expand that to it is um, healthy self, healthy relationship, healthy, like, like, there's multiple things, right. And so you've, you've kind of hit it, hit the nail on something that uh, I think people will pay for, right, because they know it's a problem. And they're like, Oh, I can buy this very socially approachable product to kind of help me navigate things. And, you know, you probably heard this concept, like, you know, I wish partners came with like uh, a Carfax. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you could say, yeah. Like, tell me all the things about your journey and, and maybe your, your product can help people, you know, kind of get to know each other. And even if they disqualify themselves early in the process, like that's kind of what you want. Like, we're just not yeah. for each other. Maybe we're physically attracted, but we're just not for each yeah. other. And yeah. so that's dope. Congrats on that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited. I do feel like it's going to be something and I'm just staying patient because I know ads and all that is expensive, but you just pace it. That's how you do it. And and, and everything comes together. And that's why I tell people I'm not stopping anything I'm doing. Everything's going to come together. Um, So I know we're coming up on time because I can talk about tech and music. No, great. This is a great conversation. I can talk all day. (laughs) Probably got to have you come back on. I know you're busy, but we got to have you come back on one day. Yeah, no, um, I'm happy to, to come back. Yeah, but before we go, I wanted to ask you about your book. Um, now, I can't, can you tell me the title of, I know I had it in my notes. But... Uh, Values-Based Business Design. Okay. What's uh, what's that book about and what's your favorite chapter? Yeah, so one of the things that really bothers me when I see companies kind of standing up for 
some social issue or what have you is they don't have real conviction. And so, you know, there's the moment with George Floyd when folks, you know, all these brands would like putting BLM on their Instagram and what have you. And I believe it's in, in you know, good with good intentions, right? But then it was like, oh, Ukraine war? Okay, now we about that, right? Like they're just kind of rotating through whatever is the kind of the topical issue with society. And we got plenty of problems that we could, you know, try to tackle. And so I get that big multinational conglomerates. It's tricky for them because on some level, they're trying to figure out how they can accommodate all these issues because their customers are everybody. And so all these issues are going to impact their customers on some level. But I believe there are very few issues that a company is willing to stand for to the extent that they will go out of business. Like if we can't help solve this or contribute to this, we are willing to shut down this company, return all the money to shareholders and start something new in life. Like when have you ever heard Nike or Coca-Cola saying, if we can't resolve this issue, Nike is going to shut down? Never, you have never heard that. And, and so because it is so hard for extremely large corporations to have that point of view, I believe it is a strategic advantage to very small companies. And by that, I mean, if you can design a company, it can be personality led, you know, very small, one person who, you know, has you know, 10, 20 people, or it could be a company that grows to hundreds or thousands of people, regardless of the size. If you start the company with some type of North Star that says, here are our values, and we are willing to go out of business to defend and live our values. And in today's world, when customers find companies that have that type of resolve around their values, uh, it's just really easy to attract uh, and retain those customers. They become you know, huge proponents of word of mouth. They go tell other people. And the temptation is as you make more money, you want to violate some of those values. And so how do you keep the company honest? And so the book is really focused on, number one, how in today's world, a purpose-driven company um, really can have a, a advantage by not only figuring out what their values are. And I'm not saying like write some cultural values down and, you know, put a poster up in the, in the, in the, you know, coffee room. I'm saying like, these are what the company operates by. And, but by not just writing those down, but sharing those with customers that you'll find it's a lot easier to go attract those customers. But then the hard part is be, being willing to make less money in defending those values. And I believe on a cash on cash, um, you know, basis, you actually will make more money in the long term. You may not spike and make as much money quickly, but you will make more money in the long term if you establish a set of values and you don't break them because that becomes the social contract between the company and the customer. And so that's the focus of the, of the book and that's kind of thinking like, how do you how do you operationalize that? And kind of my favorite chapter is, you know, once you get through the theory and just say like, okay, how are you going to, you know, if you believe this concept, going to start your next business and internalize this? And this is why all of the investments that I make, uh, I make sure that is part of the narrative. And, and it doesn't mean that, you know, the company says our values are to save the world or to empower everybody. Like it, it doesn't even have to be, frankly, a, a popular set of values. You just need to stand for something. 
And the yeah. more you can do that, the better. And, you know, kind of summing it up, you know, most, you know, most concisely, trust equals consistency. And, you know, when somebody says, hey, I, you know, let's say somebody's in a relationship and, uh, you know, someone says, I don't trust them anymore. And like, why don't you trust? Because they cheated on me. Right. And inherently or implicitly what that person's saying is I can't I can no longer trust this person to behave the way I would have forecasted or predicted they would behave in the past because they've shown me this just like you can trust a criminal to be a criminal because they've shown themselves to be criminal. So trust is not a good thing or a bad thing. It's not like, you know, you squandered your trust. No, trust is your demonstration of your consistent behavior. And and so anyone who is building a brand, that consistency is what people are connected to. And I had a tweet recently where I said, you know, our personal brand or our professional brand or our company's brand, it's a combination of the positive things that we do most consistently and then the occasional things that we do, you know, every so often that are negative. So you can do just a few negative things and squander all of your trust, right? You can, you can break the rule once yeah. and now people are like, I don't trust you. Yep. But then you got to keep showing up on the positives, right? Mm-hmm. And so the book is just really you know, trying to get us to think that it's not about having everyone as your customer. It's about saying, hey, this is what this company stands for, why it exists. And as a result, as a byproduct, here's the products or services we happen to make. And I believe that's just a much better approach to how you sell things nowadays. And if organic marketing, whether that's, you know, a podcast or short form video, long form video, writing blog posts, like whatever it is, those types of organic marketing tactics really, you know, kind of shine in the context of a values driven business. And so I just get really excited about that concept because small folks who may be capital constrained can use this as a toolkit and they can compete against a Nike or a McDonald's or a Coca-Cola mm. because those big companies, they aren't ready to shut their business down based on their values. And and that's just like, that's the stick. Like go use it and, uh, you know, compete. Oh, I like that. I'm gonna get that book because uh, that's important. Your brand is is important, and I can. So that sounds like the, the principles to what I need to know and what others need to know, especially being a startup. Like how you know how can you uh, create that brand and that culture and right, that right. signature for you? I love that. That's 100%. a great and idea. And I'm gonna say I'm always down to sell another book. But you or any <laughs> of your listeners, you don't have to buy the book. What I just explained is the action path. Go do that. Um, and I would much rather someone take action than buy a copy of my book. And so like that summary is the action path. Now, if you're like, hey, I want to get a little more context, like I love it. You know, I love to sell another copy of the book, but you don't need to buy the book. Um, we just have to go put these things into action. And yes. uh, sometimes we plan ourselves away from our success. Oh, that was a good one there. Yes, we do plan ourselves away from success. Like sometimes you just got to just do it. And yeah. and, and I, that's why I hang around people that are doers. Cause sometimes it depends on who you hang around. I mean, you, you know, not saying you cut people off, but it does matter. Cause sometimes you yeah. talk to a scary Mary on the phone and you're, you're like, Oh, a hundred percent. I have this thing that I've uh, kind of modified from advice. Other mentors have given me and, I say this because a lot of what I think about is how does 
a small person, you know, a small business of one, a solopreneur or a small business, you know, two, three, five, ten people, how do you compete with a big monster company? And, you know, we've talked today about some of these tactics, but one of the biggest things is just speed. You got to move fast. And so if you fall into a planning trap, you're not going to win. And so kind of this modified uh, statement and framework that I use is big companies, big public companies, nonprofits, uh, academic institutions, you know, insert large organization here. They move, tend to move in months or years, right? A startup, uh, kind of a series A, series B, C, like a startup that's well-funded, you know, they're, they're growing, but they're still relatively small. They tend to move in, um, in weeks, right? Uh, a pre-seed, you know, seed stuff level startup, you know, you got three or four people, y'all are moving. They tend to move in days. If you are a business of one, you better move in hours. Yep. What? And yeah. If you move in hours, no one else can can out compete with you because you have speed on your side. And the compounding nature of moving in hours with a business of one, in many times, in many cases, will out compete the large players because they're moving so much more slowly. Dang, well, I need to step up my game since I'm a solopreneur. <laughs> like, I need to we, move we a little all, bit. We all on this journey, though, right? And we all just yeah. trade notes saying, like, hey, here's what works for us. Um, you know, I say we got to be careful with advice. <laughs> I have this sentence, like, don't listen to adults because most of us don't know what we're talking about. So <laughs> it's like all of this stuff can be goodness, but we all know ourselves. And so we got to filter out the noise and say, like, I'm going to listen to these pieces. But, but again, I just think you got to get to it. I like that. Yeah, having your own intuitive, um, I can say, uh, guide is the best way to, I guess, start anything. Because sometimes what somebody else say, it might not be your way, but don't mean your way's bad. It's like just having that self. Yep. Yeah, that self sense. So that's important. I finally got there at my older age, um, <laughs> but still young. Look, you're only young as you feel. But right, right. Um, before we go, because I know we. Um, sitting here going over time but i had so much fun talking to you and got inspired and i'm sure everybody got some great information about tech and everything going on um what's the saying or quote that you go by so i have a concept of a personal north star i think everyone should have one uh, i believe they should be short because then you can mem- remember them and they should be useful in helping you make daily decisions And so mine is six words, three sentences, know thyself, make things, stay free. And if I follow those rules, I get to where I'm going. Oh man, I love it. When you said that, I thought of as a man think of, for some reason that book just came right to my head. But I love that. That's a good saying, man. I wanna thank you for coming on here. Oh, where can, what's your website? Where can people come support you? Um, so my, I, I invest full time nowadays uh, at Kager Investments, that's C-A-G-R dot com. But if you just want to chop it up, have a conversation, you can easily find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at LaShawn. That's L-A-S-E-A-N. All right. Y'all have it. Uh, thanks for coming on here. I want to thank everybody for listening. Subscribe and share and be safe. Peace, everyone. Thank you.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.